Hey guys, what's up? Kevin Jones, founder of Blue Wire. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Do me a favor, send it to one of your friends. We're growing this network, grassroots style. It takes everyone. You're a part of our team if you send this to one of your friends. All right, enjoy this podcast and appreciate your support. All right, everybody, welcome back into Brown's Film Breakdown. Your host, Jake Burns, writer at the OBR, contributor at Cleveland.com, coming at you guys here late again uh, after Friday night. It's been a crazy night for me. Uh, Went and saw Endgame, and uh, it took a good portion of my night. It was really hard not to look at my phone. Phenomenal movie if you're a Marvel fan. I would suggest going to see it. This is not going to be a spoiler podcast, but it was it was fantastic. I don't think they could have done it any better. So um, that's where I was. I didn't get to see much. I had Brendan text me uh, some of the some of the things that were happening, but I've caught up on mostly everything. So I want to have a quick chat about the Browns' picks and then where they're looking tomorrow. So I'm bringing back in my guy Brendan Leister. How you doing, buddy? Doing good, man. Really excited about um, what they did today for the most part. So I'm looking forward to chatting about it. Yeah, let's get into it real quick. So pick 49, or sorry, not they did have pick 49. They jump up to pick 46, and you specifically have a reason why you thought it was a good idea for them to jump to 46, and, and, and go ahead and elaborate on that, Brendan. Oh, yeah, so I just I thought that Seattle definitely seemed like a team that might take Greedy Williams, even in the first round. I think I had that in my mock draft, actually, uh, the day of. And just thinking about the fit, the types of cornerbacks that they like, he's a big... Um, you know, rangy, long-armed corner that they usually like to use in press ever since they've had Richard Sherman and other guys. Um, so it seems like the Browns kind of made that connection, figured he wasn't going to make it any further down the board. I know they said that they tried to, tried to trade up six picks and they weren't able to. So moving up three picks instead of or in front of Seattle um, definitely seems like it was a priority for them. And um, I'm definitely really glad that they made that pick because – I just think that he's a a great football player and a very valuable uh, piece on a defense that's coming together with a lot of young, talented players. So, yeah, man, I, th- I think those are all pretty good points in terms of, of jumping up where they needed to jump up at the position that they were and getting the guy they wanted. I, I know that for me it seemed like greedy was never going to be a first round or sorry was never going to be there at 49 so I didn't consider him especially when we first talked about it I, I certainly think as he fell it was going to be more of a fit for the type of corner that you would want there and uh, you know I think the Browns found a guy that is that is uber talented and can do a lot of the things you want a corner to do opposite of Denzel Ward and I'll let you elaborate on it and sort of give my thoughts on it too but in terms of a uh, of the fit, I think people are concerned about the type of corner, uh, or not the corner, but the type of coverage the Browns might play. I don't think that that necessarily is set in stone. Co- you know, you hope your coordinators evolve. And, uh, yeah, just elaborate on what you think about those things and sort of where you think he fits in Wilkes' defense. Oh, yeah. So I think that definitely when you have Denzel Ward and Greedy Williams as your top two corners moving forward, you should absolutely adapt your defense to play a good amount of press man coverage, try to disrupt routes early. Um, they have a lot of guys up front that can rush the passer. So try to make the quarterback hold the ball for a split second longer so that those guys can get pressure on the quarterback. And then when you play defense like that, 
and really put pressure on the other team's offense when you have an offense that's as explosive as the Browns do now on paper, at least with, you know, all these reinforcements on the offensive side, as well as a young franchise quarterback and Freddie Kitchens calling the plays. Um, I think when you put that all together, it just really, I think they need to play like very, I'm not going to say aggressively because I don't want people to take it like a I'm saying I'll just play like, you know, blitz and play cover zero all the time. I'm not saying that at all. I just think that playing a good amount of cover one, you know, with Demarius Randall deep as a free safety with everybody else manned up with the guys up front rushing the passer and then also mixing in obviously some creative blitz looks and disguising coverages on the back end, playing some pattern match cover three, pattern match cover four. Um, I don't like, you know, uh, I know some of this stuff's a little technical, but you know, I think that playing coverages that turn into man-to-man when you have this personnel is definitely for the best for the Browns defense. And I don't want to see it. I don't want to see the Browns defense this fall looking like it did at time at times last year for Wilkes with Arizona, where I saw Patrick Peterson playing way off of corners and just giving up really easy hitch and hitches and curl routes within two seconds of the snap where the quarterback can just turn and throw the ball. Um, you know, with personnel like this, I think you should play an aggressive brand of football. And uh, I just really hope that Wilkes adapts and um, adjusts his defensive scheme to what he has personnel wise, because I think that is a mark of a good defensive coordinator or a good coach in general. And you should expect that of any coach. I'm with you. I'm with you. He certainly has a way that he has played in his last two stops, Arizona, Carolina. But I know you and I have had this discussion. I don't think he's played with a front four that is as good as the one that Cleveland will provide with their first unit. So there should be some adjustment. There should be two corners now that you really trust to walk down in the face of players, even if they're playing cover three. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. zone is zone, and you're eventually you're eventually going to have to cover a man. Like you have a zone, obviously, but eventually you got to play somebody. So right. Like you're saying, man, it all morphs into man coverage at some point. So you have guys you think can do that, even if it's turn and run, cover three stuff. Get down in the face, take away easy throws like you're talking about. They weren't doing so much with Patrick Peterson and sort of go from there. And uh, in this situation, I think that you would want your your coach to adapt his scheme to – um, you know, what he has, and hopefully you see some changes. I would imagine that conversation in the coach's office was – can we get this guy? What does he do well? Can you adapt your scheme? Those these guys are smart people. You know, we're not geniuses as we sit on a podcast, and and I would imagine mm-hmm. that they're doing the same sorts of conversations, and they would look at town. If you have a defensive coordinator who doesn't adjust to his personnel, you got a problem that's bigger than who you drafted here. So I'm with you for sure. So let's uh let let's shift to um pick eighty. I I, I came sprinting in man because I was <laughs> I was actually able to time it up perfectly with arriving home and. Uh, I didn't. I didn't expect this pick, so uh, I'm going to defer to you a lot. I have to study him tonight. I'm going to defer to you a lot on this player because I think you have some really good insight through, uh, you know, your pro football focus uh, abilities with with his grades and things of that nature. And then two, you've seen some good clips. You've sent me some um, just some just some good talking points that we can talk about with him. So yeah, go ahead and talk about uh, Taki Taki, who they picked there, pick eighty, the linebacker from BYU. Yeah, um, I think that he's definitely a really rangy player. And he, um, for having so little experience in a coverage role, I think he actually shows some pretty good instincts dropping in coverage. Um, I've seen him run with uh, wheel routes up the sideline where he 
broke up a pass. Um, one play comes to mind in the first game of the season that was pretty impressive for a guy that had played primarily on the line of scrimmage in the past years. Um, he's been a very good pass rusher for out, throughout his career, um, really good blitzer. He can really bend the edge. Um, you know, he can really turn and dip. Uh, shows very good flexibility to kind of turn on the edge. Just trying to elaborate on that term, bend the edge a little bit um, when he's rushing the passer on the edge. Um, he's just a really loose athlete, in my opinion, and he's just very rangy, like chasing plays down from the backside, um, explosive mover. He tested well at the combine, too. Um, I think... I think there's definitely room to grow in areas. Uh, he missed 21 tackles last year, but I will say at the same time before everybody freaks out about that number, I think that it, t missed tackle numbers can be misleading sometimes because guys like this that are really rangy and athletic, they get themselves in positions that guys that run a four, four, eight, you know, four, eight, 40, four, nine, those guys would never get in the position to make those tackles in the first place. So if you're getting into a position, making missing a tackle, making the running back cut back from the initial uh, point of attack, you know that's actually pretty positive play, even though you missed a tackle in the backfield and it looks bad on the stat sheet. So sometimes that stuff can be a little misleading, but I definitely think there is some room to grow there. Um, I was really impressed with his ability, kind of uh, contact balance. I know people use that word for running backs a lot, but I would even use that word for him where he would take on a block, um, just extend his arms, um, you know, kind of put a move on the offensive lineman and stay on his feet in positions where I think other linebackers would lose their footing and fall on the turf. And he was able to stay on his feet and wrap the running back up around the line of scrimmage for a tackle. So I think this is, um, I think it's interesting that Kirksey announced the pick because I think there's a good chance that this is going to be probably <laughs> his backup this year or playing with him. And then, Long term, yeah. you know, they, they're probably thinking that this is going to be his replacement because this is a prototypical Will linebacker. Um, I think he's playing in the 230s last year, which is that's fine for, you know, a modern day Will linebacker, 230s, 240s. Um, and then as far as pro football focus grades, I think, you know, none of them really stood out big time. Uh, he was pretty good at run defense, according to our grades. Um, good pass rusher. And then his coverage grade really improved from his uh, junior year to his senior year. So I'm intrigued by him. I'm not completely sold. I think there's definitely a, a lot of room for growth. He's he's very raw player at this stage, but just the um, just the things that he kind of shows naturally with you know his growth moving from playing on the ball all the time to moving off the ball and playing more of a linebacker, a true linebacker role as a will. Um, also, as like an overhang player uh, to the weak side of the formation, a lot of times is what he was doing last year. And I think, you know, moving into that role in his first year, I thought that he really showed some promising things. And I'm looking forward to seeing how the Browns use him. Do you think, Brendan, that that was a reach at pick 80? Do you think he's a guy? Um, this is a two part question. I'll let you answer this first part first. Is he a reach? Just, just is he a reach at 80? Do you think they could have had him in round four or possibly one of their two round five picks? That's. So this is always something that I struggle with around draft time because I think there are times where obviously reach, you can use that word because like, you know, we look at like Farrell yesterday. We will look at like, you know, uh, Jones yesterday. And you're thinking, oh, it seems like they could have got that player later. But 
if you have that conviction and really, really, really love the guy, it's just so tough because like he might've gotten taken by the lions with the next pick, or he might've got taken by the next team that wanted a linebacker, for example. So if that's your guy, it's just so tough to pass on him there. I know that like in our shoes, like we look at these lists and we're saying, Oh, well there's all these linebackers after him. And you know, there's uh Cashman from Minnesota and there's all these guys that haven't been taken yet. And we're thinking based on the pre-draft lists, we're looking at these lists thinking, Oh, there's all these guys that are rated ahead of him. But for the Browns, they think that he's the best fit for them on the board. And they, they have a plan for him clearly based on the press conference, what Wolf and Highsmith were saying, they think that he'll, you know, they think the defensive coordinator will have a plan for him this year. So it's such a tough thing to say, Oh yes, they reached. Does that make sense? Like, I know that it's a cop out answer, but I, I think that's just such a tough thing when it's your guy, you know, when you love this player, it's hard for me to say like, Oh yeah, it's a reach. Cause this play player might pan out. But then on the other hand, all the people that hate the pick might, they might be right too long-term. So yeah. Yeah. I think, it, I think it's certainly a challenge because a lot of people's notions about these players is based on what they read from analysts mm-hmm. and analysts might not have a feel necessarily for how teams value a player. The Browns didn't talk to Taki Taki after the combine. He said he did not have contact with him. I actually read that he was on the toilet taking a break when the Browns called him to draft him, which is hilarious. So he clearly didn't think the Browns were going to be selecting him just by sheer nature of nobody talking to him. So as the Browns really liked him, they're paying attention probably to who brought him in for top 30 visits and who showed an extreme amount of interest in him. And at that point they feel like maybe he's a guy that other teams are going to swipe up and we love him. So I'm with you. I think it's easy to sit on your couch and say that feels like a reach, but you know, maybe they value and other teams valued him right around that range. This is probably, I guess it's probably safe to say it was the high end of his range. So they, they, they wanted to uh, get him before they risked it and they risked it into round four. So I'm with you. Tough, tough to always tell. Does his background concern you? I didn't see the full picture. I did see he's had suspension issues uh, over his time at BYU. Now I know there's some strict standards at BYU for some certain things and like, I'm not sure what all of them were all about there, but I did see that he was also a team captain last year, which says something. I mean, you don't have a history of, of issues with suspensions or whatever yeah. without, you know, if you come back and your team believes in you enough to make a captain, that probably says something about where you're at as a person, right? Yeah, so um, from what I understand, it seems like when he went to BYU initially, like as a freshman, all the coaches and like he was coming from California, I guess. So there was an adjustment like he like from what I've read and I think what um, what Wolf, uh, what Wolf said earlier, uh, Elliot Wolf, it seemed like he went to BYU and, you know, it was a big adjustment. Young kid wasn't really ready to leave home. He wasn't really very mature at all. And all the coaches kind of expected that he would just flame out and he would just end up going back home, you know, and I guess never amount to anything, so to speak. Um, That's just kind of what it seemed like. And then he ended up getting in trouble. I'm not exactly sure. I didn't look into what it was, but I guess he got in trouble. He missed, I think, the 2015 season because I'm pretty sure he was freshman in 2014. And then he uh, came back from that. So then he played 2016, 2017, 2018. And I guess he really turned his life around after that suspension. 
Um, I think he's married now too, which I know that's pretty typical for those Utah and BYU guys. Um, but uh, yeah, it seems like he's really matured. And I guess, yeah, he became a team leader and uh, they voted him a team captain and everything. So it seems like a guy that's come full circle and it's kind it kind of goes with the, um, with the trend of last year's draft. Um, just thinking about back to last year because they were t- they purposely took a bunch of guys in last year's draft that had overcome things you know like Nick Chubb's knee Baker Mayfield being a walk-on multiple times um, there were other ones too Gennard Avery yeah, Cor- look at his Corbett size a, he's like Corbett yeah. was a walk-on too and yeah and right Gennard so. Avery's like a 5'10 guy and yeah Callaway was like kicked off the team so yeah I think this is just another example of the Browns kind of trying to build their culture. I know that Elliot Wolf also talked about this guy being like a, a foundation. He, he said that he's like an energy giver, just constant energy. Like people love to be around him, just culture changing type pick, I guess. So, mm-hmm. you know, not that this pick will change the culture by itself, but I think once you bring enough guys like that into the building, which we've all seen they they're adding those guys right and left with Mayfield OBJ Landry there's tons of other guys on this roster that are very energetic positive dudes so bringing in another guy like that is a good fit for the culture and um you know it'll come down to whether he plays football well or not but <laughs> it, yeah. but it it is key you know to have guys like that in the locker room I think that can be the difference um you know when teams need to come together at tough times and stuff like that I feel it I think I think I was you probably love all of the calls these guys make and the, the, the players sound excited, but Brown's released a little clip of, uh, of, of John Dorsey talking to him on the phone and Freddie talking to him too. And he, he you know, you can kind of tell just by the way a guy's voice sounds and how it sort of just reverberates back and sort of, you, it's weird. I know this sounds weird, but you can sometimes tell about leadership and how much a player will be respected or how much he was respected just by kind of how he sounds that bravado the confidence and I liked it I think it I think it could be yeah. a nice mesh to uh to the linebacker room so they 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 take care of linebacker there at 80 would you have done just real quick would you have done anything different at 49 or 80 uh, you know what what did you what did you want there or would you have picked someone different at either of those spots um, 46 and we, 80, I'm sorry. Yeah, as we were coming up on 49, I definitely wanted Greedy Williams. And I was thinking, um, you know, I was thinking about Seattle there too. And then I saw the Browns jump up and I was like, oh, maybe they're thinking Greedy Williams too. And then they took him. So that was pretty cool. I definitely wouldn't have done anything different there. Um, giving up the fifth. You know, I said before that I didn't really want them to move up and give up a bunch of picks, but that was more speaking to, you know, trading up into round one, trading up into early round two. That's you're giving up a lot of draft capital at that point, moving up from 49 to 46. That's not, you know, giving up a fifth. That is not nearly what I was talking about. I was talking about the more extreme moves. So yeah, I was happy with that. And then, you know, at 80, I didn't really know Taki Taki. I mean, I think he came up actually when we were doing the, mock draft the other night mm-hmm. and I like I don't know I might have made a joke about his name or something I didn't even know who he who he was you know it seemed like none of us really did so it's it's hard to really comment on players when you don't know them yet um, yeah but but I mean if this was their guy I understand the pick I with what I knew I was thinking more along the lines of like maybe uh is it actually Colin Saunders? I feel like his. It is Colin. I was going to bring that yeah. up. He's a guy who went after, uh, and I was yeah. literally sitting on my on my chair saying, "Oh, it is pronounced Colin." I've been saying that wrong all along. 
Yeah, I think his like Twitter at he changed it because everybody says Kalen, so he changed it to like Colin, not Kalen or something. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I uh, like he was an example of a guy that I was kind of intrigued by. I think I was intrigued obviously by like Chauncey Gardner Johnson and Amani Hooker. Those were the two guys I was thinking. But but I've kind of said recently also that. I think the Browns feel like they're set at the top of their safety depth chart now with Burnett, Randall, and Murray. So this clearly was a player that they wanted to come in and have a role this year. So, um, you know, need factored into it for them at this point. And uh, they thought that this guy can really contribute early on. So that, that clearly mattered to them in round three, and hopefully the player hits. Yeah, I'm with it, man. Let's look at uh, real quick before we part ways here. Let's let's talk day three. Browns pick 17th in round four. Uh, guys who intrigue you, uh, potential potential guys there that you think that that would that would be good. If we've talked uh, Chauncey Gardner Johnson. I think Imani Hooker's obviously you said mm-hmm. as well too is a, is a really good fit there. Anybody yeah. else catch your eye in that fourth? You know that with that fourth round pick. Um. Let's see. I know that people have mentioned like Anthony Nelson. So like, I know that that's a player that people talked about on day two. He's still available. So maybe, you know, another edge guy, Anthony Zettel is one of their backups right now. So you can't, you can't ever be too content with your, with your depth pass rushers. You know, those guys are going to rotate in the game. They're going to play. So um, you can never feel completely set there. Let's see just trying to work down a list the the trouble at this point is there's just not a ton of like offensive tackles available that really catch my eye but I do have a feeling they have I have a feeling they have their eye on someone because because I don't think that they probably were going to take a tackle necessarily in round two unless someone dropped like and really surprised them kind of like greedy did and then with round three, it just seems like that was their pick. Like, talkie talky, they just knew that they were going to take him at 80. It seems that way. So maybe they have their eye on someone on day three. Um, I know I'm. Yeah, I, th- mentioned- I think there's going to be a tackle there that we probably have not even remotely considered at some point right. in day three. I think so. So, yeah, I mean, Isaiah Prince, like I mentioned the other day, I know a lot of Ohio State fans are down on him. And, and honestly, I wasn't a big fan of his game either watching in college, but I, I am intrigued by the fact that he's worked with LaCharles Bentley. Um, I think that counts for a lot. He's really helped a lot of offensive linemen moving into the NFL and helped those guys improve their careers. And, and also um, him working with Campin for a year before taking over for one of the, one of the offensive tackles that the Browns have now. Let's see, man. Hakeem Butler's tough. still on the board. Some people had him oh, yeah. as, uh, the higher some people had him as the top wide receiver in the draft still available oh, day three they could still be right i'm not gonna i'm, I'm not, not saying gonna, that uh, either but it is interesting oh, that the me. nfl didn't value him there um oh, you know because like i i thought amani hooker was a top three round guy and he's still available and some people had gardner johnson going in the first round so these things are all over the board it, i just i do find it interesting a lot of players that were taken above akeem butler and i think some of the things that you and i have talked about are or what other people see too, the route running issues and the hands yep. consistency. So um, it's fascinating. Yeah. Mac Wilson. I think we could talk a little bit about there. positions. Um, yeah, of course. Yeah, Mac course. Wilson. I'm actually, to be honest, I, I had looked at this list before the Browns picked and I thought, I hope they don't take Mac Wilson. I just, you know, that I know, I knew that there was a chance they'd take a linebacker, but I just, 
And Alabama stuff's always in play now, too, with Freddie. I mean, it's just this sort of thing. Yeah. They've got a lot of LSU guys now on the roster. Yeah, I'm with it. So they they need to – Yeah, let's talk about, like, need positions, just some spots we think we're going to address. Well, it it seems as though they don't think that they probably need a safety that high. I think they'd be wise to take one. I think they'd be wise to take an interior player. Um, yeah, I mean, round know, four, they the can edge. still take a safety that can contribute. Sure. And there, there are guys there that match up with close, I would imagine, close to BPA in those, some of those spots, too. So it could be a nice blend. Um, yeah, they need a D-tackle, in my opinion. They could use an offensive tackle project player. And then from there, an edge, maybe a tight end, maybe. Uh, I wouldn't mind a second corner, too. So that's kind of where I'm at. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'd definitely like to see another corner, whether it's a – a cheap veteran after the draft um, or another draft pick or both. Um, I just think, and and they seem to agree. I was very, uh, I was very happy about the things that Freddie kitchens and John Dorsey were saying in the press conference. That was, it was good hearing them talk about like 70% sub packages on defense. You need four to five. They were saying actually really emphasizing like needing five corners that can cover and play and talking about how it's a passing league. Kitchens is like telling them to passing league guys. Like if you paid attention last year, we all know it is. So you got to be able to pass the ball. You got to be able to stop the pass. So it was pretty cool hearing that. So, yeah, I think they're going to continue to follow that, um, that way of looking at things. I think even um, you kind of broke up for a second when you were naming off positions, but yeah, like even a depth tight end to come in and compete, maybe at some point, um, I think if if they get a receiver at some point, because they still do have, you know, five picks left, it has to be a guy that projects as someone that's going to be able to play special teams. I keep saying that, but that's, that's going to be important. You can't, I mean, because right now they have four guys pretty much in pen on the roster and uh, none of those guys are going to play special teams and cover kicks. So if they bring in a receiver, if the guy wants to make the roster, unless they keep six, uh, the guy's absolutely going to have to play special teams. And then another thing I guess we should keep our eye on is just if they trade Duke Johnson, maybe they take a running back late, or maybe even if they don't trade Duke Johnson, they could take a running back late. But um, that's not really something that I would make a priority. Uh, yeah, I'm with you, man. They, I guess if it's the guy there, I, I mean, it feels like to me the perfect sort of undrafted free agent type to, to try to bring in somebody to compete there and, you and I are higher on Dontrell Hilliard than, than most, so I think mm-hmm. he's a big part of things too. So good stuff, man. This is good. It's 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 a lot to take in. It's you know, it's twelve fifty one. It's late. Mm-hmm. We try to get this out to give you some instant analysis and we'll continue to do the same tomorrow. The good thing is day three is earlier, so we can get it to you a little bit earlier, sort of do a holistic wrap up at some point late tomorrow night and have that for you. Sunday, Monday ish. We'll see how the schedule shakes out. But Good start for the Browns. They've attacked two positions they need to improve. Players, I think that, like Brendan said, will get on the field for them next year, have a role, very likely have a role, um, you know, barring terrible training camps or something of the nature. But good start. Plenty of good names left on the board. Exciting to see who they pick in round four. 17 picks in, so tune into that tomorrow. And, um, yeah, should be fun to see how they fill out the back end of these depth positions that they need. Brennan, thanks for joining me, buddy. We will uh, we'll be calling on you again tomorrow night, man. Yep, thanks, man. Looking forward to it. All right, man. All right, guys. So we will, yeah, like I said, be back. And uh, until then, go Browns.